you're listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. So, how should we do episode zero here? Well, we're starting from the very beginning, so I suppose we should introduce who we are and what we're doing and what our general purpose is and who we hope our audience is like who who would be interested in what we ramble on about here if i know (laughs) if you like weird old stuff and video games and books i don't know we'll figure it out as we go yeah, so I guess, what is what is your interpretation of our vision? Of our vision? Yeah. Let's use the big words. Well, there were our seven vision, fat cows stated. and seven thin ones, and one of them was playing a flugelhorn. <laughs> when you first find this podcast, you're probably wondering, like, why the heck was this started in the first place? And you came to me and you said, hey, what if we just did a medieval podcast about really weird medieval texts? Yes. Well, I was I was inspired by Saga Thing, which in turn was inspired by Rex Factor. Basically, what it comes down to, I think, is that there are all of these really bizarre texts out there that I feel like a lot of people would enjoy, or at least people pretend to be interested when I talk about them. And no one seems to be really aware of them outside of academia, so I'd like to try and bring that to other people, because it's weird out there and we should recognize that yeah human human culture has always been weird and the stuff that we're dealing with i mean now is weird publishing this in 2020 of all years i think that we forget that the medievals were just like us in a lot of ways and i think there's so much that is left in academia that the general public doesn't have access to either because it's in manuscripts and it's in documents that haven't been digitized or that haven't been translated Uh, like the first episode you translated that text from the middle english so there's all this stuff that isn't easily accessible to the public or has been thought of in sort of this anachronistic way it's like oh the middle ages at the dark ages and it's been made really boring throughout history class or like oh that didn't really matter all the progress that ever happened you know came from either the golden age or during the enlightenment when the rationalists kind of took over and yeah there were a lot of leaps forward then in terms of science and kind of philosophical thought but we can't neglect the middle ages and all the fun stuff that happened in that period, whether it's factually correct or just bizarre. And we do definitely neglect medieval literature. The English department seems to cram everything medieval into a blanket category called pre-1500, and you're only required yeah. to take like one class from that category. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you get like a very brief overview of like, okay, this is English literature. We start with Beowulf, and then we're going to jump to Chaucer, and then we'll get to Shakespeare. And that's when English literature began. It's like, no, hold on, hold on. Roll that back here. Like, what is Shakespeare pulling from? Like, he's got this beautiful literary history that he's drawing from, and if you don't learn about it, you're missing out on half of the dick jokes, which we all know is the beauty of Shakespeare. I'm being slightly hyperbolic there, but... I mean, I do know a couple Anglo-Saxon dick jokes. <laughs> I don't think you've shared these with me. 
I'm sure you've heard them. Probably. I mean, you know the riddles, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Wasn't the onion one quite the... Uh... Yeah, that's one of the ones I'm thinking mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. We'll have to cover the riddles. I'm excited about the riddles. And then, of course, there's... I mean, there's this beautiful tradition. I mean, while we're on the topic of you know vulgar humor and such, there's a beautiful tradition of magical spells that affect one's genitalia in a variety of ways. Like, for some reason, the Middle Ages was really caught up in love magic that had more to do with affecting the physical bodily functions in that way. There is an episode in one of the sagas, as the uh, saga thing folks dwelt on to some extent, because it's hilarious, where Gunhildr, witch queen of Norway, does curse someone with a spell that... I think would fall into that category. Yeah. Was that the one where it like, may your dick be so large you can't please a woman? Almost. It only swells up whenever he's with his wife. Yes. But not with other women. Oh no. Oh wow. Because he was her boy toy for a while and she was offended that he was going to go marry someone else. So she uh, cursed him so he'd be unfaithful. Basically saying you you will never be able to have sex with your wife. That's so unfair. You either unfair. have to be celibate or you have to sleep around. And since he's a Viking, he picked sleep around. Oh my gosh. That's brutal. That's horrifically brutal. Yeah, there's a lot of penis magic. And other assorted genitalia magic. I really hope that's going to be a subtitle in your dissertation. Like, chapter three, penis magic. <laughs> penis magic. I did deliberately use the swelling penis spell in my final paper for Professor Hughes. I definitely did put that in there. In my different classifications of magic, I was like, there's love magic and let me give you an example. (laughs) And that was the one that I picked. (laughs) So we can get into those. I I suppose we'll, we'll get into those on the show. So yeah. Stay tuned. We'll talk about everything from the wonderful, I guess, romances and high chivalric themes to crude love magic. We'll cover all of our bases here. See, fun fact about Shakespeare while I'm putting this out there. Much Ado About Nothing in of itself is a pun which people don't know about because according to what I've read, nothing was slang for a woman's genitalia. Oh, because... Negative just things. like right just so a thing was slang for a guy's and a nothing was slang for a woman's so there's a lot of cross-dressing in much ado about nothing and so the pun of the title is much ado about vaginas like that is the, like he's putting it in the title of the play and the fact that queen elizabeth would come to watch his plays just tells you something about elizabethan culture right there i mean I'm sure Queen Elizabeth was a deeply frustrated woman since she didn't want to get married. (laughs) Oh, poor woman. Poor lady. I mean, I'm sure there was some sneaking around. Oh, yeah. Well, she had a court magician herself. Right, John Dee. Yeah, John Dee, who created his own sigil and then wrote a book about what it meant, which of all the things that I would like that I will probably end up doing is... I'll just turn into a court magician myself. I feel like that is my lot in life because I'm writing this classification on magic and part of me is wondering whether I'm making up all of it, like John Dee. So John Dee is my spirit animal for the duration of this. (laughs) I don't know if that makes any sense. We're starting off so strong. Oh no. I think in European tradition, you'd call them familiars. That's true. Stop culturally appropriating. 
True, true. Oh, man. Okay, so we've started this podcast in general to delve into the wonderful culture of the Middle Ages and the literature of the Middle Ages that people are not so familiar with. Why don't you give your background and then I'll give mine and we'll sort of let we'll let our listeners know who the heck is spouting off all of these opinions and whether they should even listen to us or trust anything that we have to say clearly. All right. I'm McGregor, Mac for short. I'm a PhD candidate studying English linguistics. And I spend a lot of time with old medical texts and also texts about alcohol, because that's kind of what my dissertation is. It's about medical texts and alcohol or just alcohol? Just alcohol, but most of the references to alcohol I can find are in old medical texts. That would make sense. Or at least the specific ones, because, you know, they'll be like, oh yeah, and And they partied and got drunk. And it's like, okay, yeah, but on what? On what, exactly. That's a good question. Have you found any recipes that you have tried? That I have tried? No. (laughs) (laughs) But you have found some recipes. (laughs) I feel like we should put those up on the blog so that people, if they want a true medieval experience, they can brew their own beer or distill their own whatever the hell and then have a sip on that as they listen to us prattle on. No distilling. Well, that's true. Some distilling, but you'd have to go to the Arabic texts for that. Yeah, that would make sense. It took a long time for that technology to work its way through Europe. Note from Future Mac, a long tangent on whiskey and chocolate has been removed for the listener's convenience. Okay, so aside from someone who has too many opinions about her chocolate, I'm Zoe, (laughs) and I am a current MPhil student over in Ireland. I'm obviously not Irish. I'm originally from... Alaska. And Alaska has fewer manuscripts than I would like, so I have moved over to Ireland. And I'm studying magic specifically in medieval studies. And to get into the more nitty gritty of it, I specialize in categorizing magic and how the medievals understood magic. And I'm sort of taking a background framework view, kind of a survey, a survey lens over how magic and religion and science we're all understood in the Middle Ages because we have a very different conception of what that is now as compared to what your average medieval individual or a learned medieval individual uh, would have understood it as. That's me. That's what I do. And so what are we doing here? What are we doing here in terms of the text? You know, metaphysically. You know, (laughs) I wonder that every day. The Lord put me on this earth and now that's everybody else's problem. Um... (laughs) So we pick out a medieval text and systematically go through it. We'll either summarize it for you or read it. Sometimes we'll do the translation of it ourselves. Sometimes we'll go through an edition that you guys will have access to. We try and pick texts that are free to access on the internet because most of them are well past, you know, copyright and publication date. But there are certain editions that are really wonderful. Um, So do go out and check those out. But we go through them, we cover the story, we give you the highlights of what's going on, and we provide suitable or not so suitable commentary on the weird and wackiness of the text. 
and we try and contextualize it for you and kind of give you a background of some of the either idiomatic slang that's going on that we don't use anymore or the cultural context of what's going on. If you like, for instance, I don't know if you see a severed head in, in one scenario, what does that mean as, as opposed to a severed head in another scenario? I don't know why I always come up with violent examples, but that's who I am as a person, I suppose. It's what fencing's done for me. I was going to say something about uh, hunting, but yeah. That's true. Alaska hunting. Yeah, fair enough. I've always been a martial child. <laughs> <laughs> you and your veg- your vegetarianism over there and me and my <laughs> carnivore nature. Yeah, I have no martial natures, <laughs> which might be a problem uh, in the near future. Given that one of the things we're doing today after we finish this particular ramble is pre-recording a Thanksgiving episode. And honestly, I would lay even odds on whether we will be in the middle of a civil war by the time that airs. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about the election this year. I'm kind of thankful that I'm in Ireland and can watch it through a screen. Yeah, that was a smart move. Yeah. I know I know people who have moved out of the cities because they're nervous about it. I was thinking about moving into the city so I can better support the protests, but I do have to, you know, use the university library so I can't go too far <laughs> from the tiny college town in which I live. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Oh man. Well, you know, if 2020 is the end times, at least we will have some small lasting relic to leave behind. Yes. Fact. And I think that's a that's a good thing to put out there in our very first episode. You know, future historians, <laughs> hello. The mission statement of this podcast is to confuse the future historians who sift through the rubble of our civilization. Yeah. Whether they be human, alien, or fish people. There you go. And you know what? How cool would it be if you were a future historian looking like looking back through stuff and being like, oh my gosh, this is what these people thought of people in the past. And then they're looking at us thinking, oh my gosh, look at these crazy people who looked at the Middle Ages and were giving their commentary on it. We're you from the past, is my point. We're you. Or possibly if you're descended from octopuses or something, we're not you, but you know. You know, we're all, we all have sentient thought. Or corvids or... Yeah, that's true. We have a common ancestor. At some point. Unless you're an alien. (laughs) Okay. Now we've totally... in panspermia. So maybe we still do. Oh man, I think I think 2020 has made us all go insane. This is this is what comes when with being an academic stuck inside of a house all day. Okay, so we've introduced ourselves. We've talked about what we're setting forth here. We've you know given a small hello to the future if everything does go to hell. Um, yeah, let's cross our fingers and hope that this is the only surviving record that the octopus people have to figure out what the, our civilization was like. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? It would be something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So given, given all of that, let's go over. So the way the format of the podcast works is we first pick out a text we typically alternate week to week and then after we go through the text and and give our ridiculous commentary on it mac why don't you tell us about our sections that we do episodically the ones that we do when they're relevant are what say you what say you which is for best dialogue some texts don't have dialogue in which case we won't do that one all to brast all to brast. 
which is one of Thomas Mallory's favorite phrases, if you're confused by my phraseology. It's how he describes serious injuries whenever there's jousting and that kind of thing. But it's for the best death. Obviously not all stories include dramatic deaths, so sometimes you skip that one. Bestiary. For our favorite mythical critters, again, doesn't always come up. Sometimes there aren't any. And a Tolkien tally, which so far we still haven't used, I think. That's true. That's well, we've, we've been pulling from, I mean, we've done some Eastern texts. We've done some Irish texts, which Tolkien didn't have too much to do with in terms of his writing. But as he is a very influential fantasy author and someone who kind of built the the modern genre of fantasy. There was fantasy before Tolkien, but that is a rabbit hole for a different day. As he built sort of modern fantasy, and we do dive into geekdom and fantasy and sort of sci-fi, things like that, we do include him when he does present himself. Yeah, that's a yeah. pretty good summation. <laughs> and also, if the text includes food, we have a segment. Now let's sit at the kitchen table. Because there are some weird instances of food. We're not just talking like, yeah, they had roast chicken. We're talking about weird foods that you don't really expect would show up. Sorry, I, I lost my train of thought because I was trying to think of an example. Putrid dog water. Putrid dog water. I don't think we had, did we bring that up in the kitchen table segment I think segment we did because I wrote it down. Yeah. All right. So that's something to look forward to for, I think that's episode three. Yeah, two or three. Yeah, th I think it's three. Oh, yeah, because two is uh, She Who Shall yes, Not Be Named. That's right. So it, it would be episode three. We have a segment called Grant. Grant May the Gourmet. Which is a quote from the Green Knight at the beginning of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And it is when we try and adapt part of the text for use in a D&D &D game because we're giant nerds. <laughs> and honestly, this is a large part of what I do when I'm reading any medieval text is borrow stuff for... D&D games that I will probably never run. Oh, yeah. So I'm trying to get it out there so other people can use. Absolutely. And this is not just great for D&D games. It's great for writing. It's great for... Like, I mean, I don't know what else it's good for, but it's good for any sort of creative thing where you're trying to come up with either weird names or, like... I don't know, weird cocktail party chats. But either way, there's a lot of interesting things that you can use in D&D or tabletop games. It doesn't have to be D&D, but that's typically, I mean, that's typically what I play is a homebrew D&D game. You know, I had a professor in Mississippi who every time we came up with like some interesting bit of trivia in one of his classes, he'd say you should save that and uh, use it to start conversation at a cocktail party. I've still never been to a cocktail party. I don't even know if they're still a thing. I don't think they are. Because Professor Hughes would always say like, oh, you could bring this up at a cocktail party. I had a professor freshman year who said that. And I never in my professional life have I ever been to a cocktail party. I don't think I've ever heard the phrase, you can bring this up at a cocktail party, come from someone who didn't have white hair. Yeah, that's true. So maybe cocktail parties went quietly extinct at some point. This is what you can use on your next Zoom meeting. <laughs> that's the state of where we're at. But anyway... Yeah, we, we come up with different things that you can you can use in a D&D game, whether that's quest ideas, character ideas, NPCs, magical items, stuff like that. We pull those from the text. And related to that, we also assemble a D&D &D party from 
ideally four characters in the text, but sometimes we can't come up with that many who would be worth having around. <laughs> true. Very true. Occasionally we have a good villain. Yes. Yeah. The BBEG, big baddie guy. I like that, that uh, term is still in circulation because I remember it from like back in the early days of third edition. I love it. It's used in, as far as I'm, as far as my experience goes with um, groups like National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo, stuff like that, it's also used in the writing community. That's wild. I'm pretty sure they borrowed it from D&D. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. As far as I'm concerned, the two groups are one and the same. How many ages hence shall this, our lofty scene, be acted over? in states unborn and accents yet unknown. Where we talk about echoes in modern culture, uh, which may be intentional, unintentional, or unrelated. For example, I think in our first episode, we talk about a Disney movie that was almost certainly written by people who had no idea that the text we were working from existed, but it had a similar plot. That's right. That's right. Yeah, just those sort of, I don't want to say universal, I guess archetypal, storylines that you might see or ideas that have come from the, the Middle Ages or the medieval period that have come all the way through that we see. A lot of Arthurian tradition comes off of that or ideas about the Vikings. Even stuff you'll see in Game of Thrones will kind of come from these medieval sources that you may or may not recognize. I'm trying to think of one like off the top of my head. Like the, if you have like the princess in distress and the knight that comes to save her, that comes from pretty much the, I mean, the the biggest one I can think of is the Lay of Marie de France and that chivalric tradition. Lays. Lays of Marie de France. Yes. She wrote more than one. It's the whole collection. That's true. But do you pronounce the S in the French? I don't pronounce French. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I have no idea whether you're supposed to pronounce the S in French. I just do it because I don't speak French. Fair enough. I mean, you could always say it's the English word lays. It's the plural. L-A-Y-S as opposed to L-A-I-S. The Lays of French Mary. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> See, you can critique my spelling and we will just go through not being able to pronounce French together. One of our recurring themes in this show. Also werewolves, also from French Mary. Yeah, that's true. That's true. She's not the originator, but she, her, well, her uh, story of Bisclavret <laughs> is one of the... <laughs> I'm sorry, Bisclavre is one of the more famous werewolf stories out there. Future Mac here. I have once again excised a rather long tangent for your convenience. This time it was on the anglicization of various foreign words. However, there is one particular fact that I think deserved to be left in for your entertainment. Here it is. My mother used to live on a street in New York called Beethoven Street, and it was spelled Beethoven. <laughs> but they all pronounced it Beethoven. You're welcome. Now, let's return to episode zero, already in progress. Okay, so we have a couple more, a couple more groups here. Right. <laughs> the Dungeon Master's Dictionary. Words and phrases to steal from the text and use in your own purposes. Again, this could be gaming or writing. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And these I really, really like because it sort of, I don't want to say it authenticates your game more, but it does sort of immerse your players a little bit when you can pull these phrases out or you can, you can pull these terms out and then your players who might not be familiar with the term have to ask you or ask the NPC, okay, what is that? What does that mean? And then that gets them more immersed in the game. That gets them more immersed in uh, the story that you're telling. So I really, really like the Dungeon Master's Dictionary. It's one of my favorite uh, categories that we go through. I enjoy it also. I would say it adds texture to the game. Yeah. And occasionally adds confusion. Yes. Depending on what you're taking. Very, very true. And... We've also added a segment as we've been going. Uh, I think this is one you invented during episode three. I think so. You want to discuss it? With much love to John Mulaney and his thanks for this one, this segment is called Street Smarts. Street Smarts! Because uh, it is sort of inspired by his his bit on uh, Bittenbinder's Street Smarts. Except instead of it being, what, like downtown Chicago street smarts for whenever John Mulaney grew up, it is uh, medieval street smarts. So this is stuff like, you know, if you have a sigil that appears on your hand one day, please go see your local priest. Don't try and hide it. Stuff like that. So we give you, like, just in case 2020 goes badly or if you're out there and you have figured out how to time travel to get out of this timeline and you do wind up in the middle ages you have our guide of street smarts to know what to do when these circumstances hit you with helpful tips about what to do if a deer talks to you or if crows come out of places they shouldn't oh yeah yeah that's an important one (laughs) i'm not gonna elaborate on that i'm just gonna leave it for them to find that later no you have to listen for that all right, and then every episode we end with a few uh, universally applicable uh, things. We talk about what each of us thought was the best moment in the text. Best and then uh, we move on to the court. It's shamelessly court. stolen from Saga Things Thingmen segment. Shout out to you guys. We love you guys. <laughs> Saga thing's great. They are pretty great. Yeah, so the court essentially is the equivalent, or it comes from this idea of the fairy court, where fairies would come and steal away humans to add to their court, and you'd be stuck in the court for a thousand years, but it would only feel like a couple days, and then you go back out into the mortal world, and a thousand years have gone by. Or depending on what text you're uh, thinking of, you might be in suspended animation, a la Sir Orpheus. Oh yeah, very true. We steal the character away from the text to add to our court, and we sort of explain why. Ooh, and explain our rule for this one, because you came up with this rule, and I really like this rule. Oh, uh, the person who introduced the text has to uh, go second. Is that the rule you're thinking of? Yes, yes. Yeah, because otherwise I would do something like bring in the story of Harroward the Wake, just so I could steal away Harroward to my marshy realm. But by saying the person who introduces it has to go second, that means you can't game the system. Only fair play. At some point, we should probably do what Saga Thing does in their quarter courts. and have listeners vote on who has assembled the best court and on the best aspects of uh, other segments. That's probably going to be a while in the future once we have more of a backlog. Uh, Other universally applicable thing, we then each rate the text out of 10. 
and average the numbers together so that you can look at the relevant page on our website, Mm -hmm. I assume. Zoe does the website. To find out of all the texts we've read, which are the best and which you should go read. Exactly. So the way that we like to rate these, or at least how I have them listed on our blog, is uh, sort of by readability uh, or enjoyability, which ones we like the best and why, and which ones kind of suffer uh, or might be less interesting to go through and read. And we break that down for segments when we go through a very big text as well. Right. So you get all the highlights. And then we close each episode with the leech's corner, where one of us reads a magical or medical recipe from the medieval period, and we discuss it, and we advise against trying any of them, but if you do, I totally want to know what Oh, yes, yeah, for sure. And yeah, we do talk about why some of them would work or why they wouldn't work. And we talk about sort of the the performative aspect of a lot of these remedies versus their practical components, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. After each episode, uh, there will be a blog post about that particular episode. And the way that I break down the blog posts is each blog post will go through sort of what the story is that we talk about for that week. And it hits on big themes. It might go into detail a little bit more about some of the things that we touched on in the podcast. But if you want more information on, it'll be in the blog post. And I also have other sections on the blog in general that include a master list section. Or if you're in particular looking for our sources, all of our sources are listed. If you're looking at one for a specific text, text, you can look at the blog post for that episode in particular. But if you're looking for sources in general, I do have a couple master lists. Let me pull that up so I can read them off. So for those of you who are into more of the writing and creative side of these things, there's Into the Records, a catalog of names. So if you're particularly looking for interesting names for characters in a D&D campaign or in your creative writing, you can check that out. I also have the Dungeon Master's Dictionary. That's one big list. So you don't have to go through each individual episode. That's all put together in one list that is convenient for you. Yes, it is alphabetized. So if you're looking for a specific term, you can find that there. There is also the Maniculum Library, which lists uh, by sections. We have a section for medieval primary sources, medieval secondary sources, such as the Internet Medieval Sourcebook, the Dictionary of Old English Plant Names, things like that, Middle English Compendium, so on and so forth. There's also a list to scholarly articles and there's references to book show and gaming recommendations. So we might throw something out there, like a contemporary source that we really like, or we might reference like Game of Thrones. We've already talked about that. So if we refer to that and we like it and we recommend it, we'll throw that there on our list. Let's see. And if anyone is listening to Zoe talk about all these things she does on the website and wondering why I'm so lazy, I do the audio editing. I promise I'm pulling my weight. And Sandra has done our music, and that's been amazing and fantastic uh, to see her progress on that. And then I'm in charge sort of of the writing end of it uh, and the blog online. There's also the Bestiary Master List is on there. The Idiotic Idioms List is also on there. The Kitchen Table has its own list, and so does Street Smart. So if you're looking for one of our segments, if you're looking for our sources, those are all available for you as master list posts. So they're all together so you can find them. 
We also try to accurately research, source, and cite everything that we use. And we try and find sources that you guys can look at. And I've talked about this a little bit before, uh, but we do want to make sure that what we're talking about is accurate. And if you are an expert on one of our topics and we get something wrong, please let us know so we can correct it. Uh, we are always happy to be proven wrong. And we are on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. So reach out to us and write to us. And if there's something that you want to see highlighted, if there's something that needs a correction, um, you know, anything like that, just let us know. We would love to interact with you guys and hear what you like or uh, want to hear more of, stuff like that. Yep, absolutely. So in as much as we have a ridiculous amount of fun doing this, uh, we do try and be accurate and factual in our work. And we are doing this off a basis of our own time and funds. So if you enjoy what we do, uh, you can find us on Patreon or you can buy us each a copy so we can fuel our you know, caffeine addictions for our dissertations <laughs> on coffee. So that way you can support us because we are doing this simply because we love our topics and we understand that uh, our love for this stuff is sort of a very niche subject and we want to make it more accessible to everyone. So if you like what we do, you can support us. Um, you can share it. Sharing is the best way to support us. But if you do have an extra, you know, five bucks, you know, Throw us a line, throw us a coffee. Future Mac again, clarifying that I at least would prefer that coffee be handed to me rather than thrown at me. I cannot speak to Zoe's preferences on the matter, however. Thank you. And we will put that into making this podcast better and better. Yeah, we are poor grad students, so... <laughs> I don't know about Zoe, but I'm I'm doing this with pretty much the minimum level of equipment. Oh yeah, I have a microphone, and that is it. That is it. <laughs> <laughs> we are professionals. So yeah, if, if you feel like donating, it will go directly back into the podcast because there's a lot of stuff yep. that could use monetary attention that we do not have the <laughs> funds to give. Yep. Yep. All right. Oh, before we close out uh, episode zero, we, there is one more thing we need to cover. Ooh, what is that? What is a maniculum? <gasps> oh my gosh, how did we not even talk about this? Do you want to explain what a maniculum is? Because this was your entire idea, and I love this idea. A maniculum, or manicule, is uh, the term for that little pointing finger that you sometimes still see in, well, in Unicode and everywhere else. Uh, it, it's it's in all those character sets. It's a wing ding. It used to be what uh, medieval scribes would draw in the margins of manuscripts they were reading to point to things they thought were particularly interesting and wanted to come back to because they didn't have highlighters. So they'd just draw an arm pointing at what they wanted to rem remember. Yeah. Maniculum literally means little hand. So that's... Little hand. For unknown reasons... That term has fallen out of use in modern typography, and people now call it either the pointing finger or 
the index, which makes a little more sense, or in a way that makes no sense and is also undermining the use of my use of the word either because it's a third example. <laughs> Some people, especially like traditional typographers, insist on calling it the fist, which it is manifestly not because it has a pointing finger. Huh. Well, we like the maniculum and that's why we've called our podcast The Maniculum is because we point back toward the Middle Ages and sort of show you guys uh, how cool literature actually is and how we still see it in use today. We also have the blog, which we call Marginalia, and that refers to anything that is written on the sides or on the bottom or outside of the main primary text that you would find in a manuscript. And so we call our blog Marginalia because it's all basically outside comments about all these texts that we're sorting. And if we could draw people pointing fingers at it, uh, we would. We absolutely would. You know, sometimes they have faces. I, I, I know. You've seen the logo I made, right? They're, I know. They're so fun. I just, I love going through and seeing where there's faces or like how many fingers. So have you ever seen the ones that are like, they're like the hang 10 bro yeah. sign? Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm going to highlight this entire section. So they use the thumb and the pinky finger or they use like the index finger and the pinky finger and they're blocking off a certain section of text. One of the variants I really like is when there are a bunch of different uh, discrete items they want to point to. So instead of drawing different hands, they draw one hand with like a dozen tentacle fingers. <laughs> Those are the best. Oh my gosh, Mac, it's just the octopus people. They're watching us already. <laughs> they were here before. They're coming back. Also, the story behind the uh, weird bearded face in the logo and the little critter with the hand for a head is those are both actual manicula from medieval manuscripts that I just traced and recolored in Adobe. They're so cool. (laughs) I love the little flying hands. I don't know what they are, but I just I want a couple just flying around the house. That sounds distressing. (laughs) You think? I mean, I think it'd be great fun. Even the Adams family kept theirs in a box. That's true. I'm sure that has nothing to do with special effects restrictions. I just picture like a cat playing with one, you know, the flying hand. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Have I gone too far? I I don't know what to do with that, so I'm just going to nod and smile. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, no. All right. Anyway. That is who we are yeah, and we are flying what we hands. do. And if you've gotten this far and you're still interested... Yeah, I was expecting this to be like 15 minutes long. what we're doing. Oh, I know. If you've gotten this far and you're joining us on this adventure, then welcome. And we're excited to have you along for the ride. I'm going to need to edit this way down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Thank you for listening to The Maniculum. For more geeky editions, or to see our sources and notes, check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, to join in on discussions about all things medieval. And feel free to reach out. We're on Twitter, at Maniculum, and on Instagram, at Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And special thanks to Sandra Boyle, who created the music for our show. Check out her project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify.
And now that we're on the record, I should alert our listeners that Zoe has pancakes, even though it is afternoon where she is, and she has not offered me any, even though it's morning where I am. Okay, I don't know how I would get the pancakes to you. That's the thing. Like, I can offer you a visual representation of the pancakes. But I cannot, I cannot send them through the screen. I mean, I could technically put them in the post, but I think by the time they got to you, they would not be pancakes. It's probably true. 